I don't know about you, but I am already pretty full this morning. I don't even feel like I need to speak. Uh, that was an incredible time of worship. And I just want to invite the Lord to be, continue to be with us. Let's just pray together. Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege and the gift it is to be uh, in a place like this. Lord, uh, worshiping together. God, having a God that is so big uh, that we can't even quite fathom it. And God, I thank you for a God like that. Lord, I thank you that in spite of uh, sometimes feeling when things are, we feel like things are out of control, Lord, you're in control. And God, I pray that this morning, Lord, that our hearts would be challenged, Lord, that our minds would be open, our ears would uh, receive what it is that you would have us to hear this morning. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right, so I wanted to share with you guys a little bit about how we uh, came to the title of this series, okay? Because I don't know about you, but this is actually not something I would ever say. Now, I learned from the first service that maybe that's just because I'm sort of out of touch with what's cool, and I get that. So let's take a quick poll. If this is a phrase that you have ever said or heard someone say, I'm shook, raise your hand. I'm so surprised. I just do not understand. All right, because I thought this was just like, like a weird thing that no one actually ever says. Here's how this came about, okay? We were sitting in a creative planning meeting uh, talking about this series and how this series is all about like that moment of when you like get punched in the face with the reality that like things are kind of out of control, right? You no longer have control of a certain situation or a certain area of your life. And so one of the guys in the meeting uh, pipes up and says, you know, I was in uh, a coffee shop the other day, and I was sitting in one room, and kind of on the other side of the wall, I heard this young lady having a conversation, and uh, she, was, she was talking about, clearly talking with her mother. And you could tell that she had, uh, was talking about some kind of situation in her, that was kind of rocking her world. He said, I couldn't hear it all, but towards the end of the conversation, I heard her say, uh, kind of just emphatically, Mom, I'm shook. And, uh, and, and it was that moment of realization that, like, her world is being rocked. And that's kind of what this series is going to be about. And so for most of us normal people, okay, we, or maybe uncool folks, we don't really uh, know how to connect with this uh, I'm shook. But most of us can connect with those moments in our lives where we've been, like, severely shaken, right? You know, I don't get shaken up very easily, okay? Around the office, uh, they have this name for me. They call me the chameleon, okay? Because I kind of, I kind of a fit, I kind of adapt, you know, to, to any situation. You know, I just kind of fit in. Uh, I feel like maybe this is a result of so many years as a youth pastor, okay? You just kind of roll with the punches. Now, it is very difficult to make me feel awkward, all right? I'm just that kind of guy. I asked Pastor Tom. He'll tell you. It's a challenge that he takes on often, actually. Um, now, I love making other people feel awkward, so that's one of my spiritual gifts, all right? But anyways, so I found out that, that, that about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I found myself in a place that I am not normally in. I was shook, all right? Did I use that right? Okay, great. So I found out that no matter how charming or intellectual or smart or handsome or whatever words you would use to describe me, whatever, what, uh, that all those things, no matter how much of those things I had, things were out of my control. And uh, this was the moment when I was in Mozambique, Africa, all right, on a, on a recent missions trip. And if you've been to a situation where people speak a different language or uh, have different cultural expectations or, or, or look different, sound different, you know, function in, with different understanding of time, all these kinds of things, you know exactly what I mean. 
Because one of the greatest things I had to do when I got to Mozambique was I had to relinquish control. That I could no longer communicate effectively. Uh, I, I had no mode of transportation. Even if I did, I would have had no idea where I was going or how to get there. I had no way to like cook or I didn't even have the right money to purchase food. Okay, this was, this was not good. I was completely dependent on someone else's you know, transportation and schedule and whatever to get me my meals. And that's not good, okay, because that's top priority for me. And this, this was just... Had me all out of sorts, all right? This is one of the few times that I felt like I was just kind of shook. And unless you've spent like time in like boot camp or, or prison or some, some place where things are incredibly structured, all right? You, this is not normal for American adults, right? Like we, we love control. In fact, I, I would say that we are actually more, uh, we, we, we love control more than we probably ever have as a society. We have these like uh, amazingly smart phones. Now, mine's not quite as smart as yours most likely because it's like an iPhone 3. But uh, so, so we have these amazingly smart phones that, that, you know, we can control like our thermostats, our refrigerators, our cars, our security systems, our garage doors, our children, you name it, all right? About anything else you can think of, we love control and the more we get, the more we crave. And when we start to lose control, what happens? We fall apart. Right? Because this like internal programming that we have within us when things get shook just kind of like melts down. And we all have like probably experienced some kind of moment like this. So we've all had a moment where a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse begins to fall apart and, and you don't know what else to do. Maybe your child begins to travel down a dark path, but now they're at the age where they're making their own decisions. Maybe you're watching a loved one battle some kind of deadly uh, illness and the doctors have done all they can do and said there's nothing left. Or maybe you've recently experienced some kind of financial hit and you have no idea how you guys are going to survive or how you're going to move forward. And we could list like a hundred more situations like this where we find ourselves realizing that we can't control everything. And it's in those moments of this like shocking realization, those punch in the face moments that we have to answer some really huge, huge questions. And that is, if we can't control everything, is there someone who can? And if there is someone who can, are we willing to trust them? And so in the book of Genesis, Noah finds himself in a situation like this. He finds himself kind of having to answer those questions. And so I want to give you a little bit of the backstory. All right, the first book of the Bible is Genesis. And Genesis starts out by telling the story of creation. And it only takes three chapters, all right, three chapters before we start reading how man has messed all this up. That didn't take very long, did it? And then we flip a couple of, a couple of pages over, a couple more chapters, and we find ourselves reading Noah's story. Now, this may surprise you, but God's word to Noah was that he regretted everything he had made. And he was about to destroy all of it. So it only took five chapters from when God created the world that he was so fed up with humans that he said he was going to destroy all of it. doesn't say much for uh, humanity, mankind, does it? But on hearing God's plan, my guess is that Noah kind of felt like things were starting to unravel, right? 
Things were beginning to be a little out of control. I mean, I'm sure I would have. God had just told him that the whole earth was about to be destroyed. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. How God provided a way out for Noah. God gave him a chance at life. And hopefully, by the end of our time this morning, each of us will understand that God has already provided a way out for each one of us. He wants to give us life. We're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and He saw that everything they thought or they imagined was consistently and totally evil. Doesn't sound like a very great place to be, does it? So the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry on the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Now, this passage of Scripture honestly makes me pretty uncomfortable. And I imagine some of you feel the same way because I feel like if we don't understand it correctly, it could kind of put this, uh, this crack in a foundation of our faith because the verses in this passage really don't describe the kind of God that I feel like very many of us would be attracted to, right? Much less believe in. God is so repulsed by the darkness that has taken, overtaken all of his creation that he says he's going to obliterate every bit of it. And I don't know about you, but this doesn't really sound like the, the God-is-love kind of being that I thought was ruling the universe. In fact, this doesn't sound like anything like a gracious or a compassionate or a merciful God that I really thought I understood to be real. But if we can move past our initial responses to these verses and kind of step back and look at the bigger picture, we'll see that to appreciate the grace of God, we have to understand our brokenness with God. Because since the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. Until the time that Jesus returns, there's going to be this constant brokenness, this constant battle between God and his created world. And so I want to try to explain it to you in four, four quick battles here. One is our battle against God. And this could probably best be summed up in one word, and that's sin. Sin is you and me looking directly at our creator and saying that we believe that our way is better than your way. Or we believe that we, we just aren't ready to give you control, and instead we're going to chart our own course. We, we think maybe even that, that God, that you don't have our best interest in mind. But the beauty of God and his love for us is that he gives us this thing called free will. And as a result, anytime we choose to go on our own way, we're fighting against the system that God designed, the perfect system. And essentially, we're battling against God. And that's our first battle. The second battle is our battle against each other. So sin not only creates this distance between us and God, but also between us and others. Now, we don't naturally get along perfectly all the time, do we? I mean, I imagine that a lot of us could, could very quickly make a list of, of one or some of you, maybe 20 people that you don't get along with very easily, right? Like, good relationships are hard work. We have to work hard to, to, to build healthy relationships with people. And we can see all around us where, where relationships are falling apart, where people are just 
fighting against each other. You look in the Middle East and people groups are are fighting and can't get along. Politicians can't stop name-calling or backbiting. Kids are shooting other kids at schools. Family members are tearing each other down. And even in church, we find gossip or jealousy or dissension. As a result of living in this sinful world, there will always be this battle against each other. And the third battle is the battle against ourselves. And the best way I think I can describe this is, uh, is through a cartoon. Anybody remember Garfield the cat? You guys remember Garfield? Um, little orange and black stripes, I think, right? So uh, you remember maybe there was a time in, in like, I don't know, every other episode it seemed like, where there was this Garfield was standing there and he was about to make a decision. And uh, there was a little angel on one shoulder, and then on the other shoulder, there was this little uh, red-looking devil thing with pointy ears and a pitchfork, because that's what the devil looks like. And, uh, and so, so he's like making this decision, and, and, and that's like the perfect picture of the internal struggle that we deal with between good and evil every day, right? Paul describes it in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead... I do what I hate. It's this battle against ourselves. And oftentimes it reveals itself in in confusion, in depression, in anxiety, in frustration, in aggression. We we can read in the news all the time about statistics, about suicide, about road rage, about clinical depression, about bullying. And all this affirms this battle within ourselves. We could actually make a list of really anything that expresses itself in a way contrary to the fruits of the Spirit, which would be contrary to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You get the picture. And respectfully, if you and I started making a list of words that describe us, my prediction is is that that whole list wouldn't be that flattering. Once again, just confirmation of the battle within ourselves. And the fourth battle... Or part of the brokenness is the battle against creation. You see, in the beginning, we were created with the intent of getting along with the animals, with the land, with the weather. I mean, remember the image of, uh, for those of you that may have grown up in Sunday school, you remember the, the picture in your Sunday school room of, of Adam and Eve, and they're sitting in the garden, they got their leaves, and, uh, and he's like sitting with like uh, all these animals around him that I guess he's naming them or whatever, it's, and he's like, he's like petting the lion, right? And they're like giving bear hugs, and... Yeah, I tried. Uh, So, you know, as a result of sin, things have changed, right? Next time you go to an African safari or or maybe just the zoo, um, you know, try petting the lion or or try to go to the beach and tan during a hurricane. Uh, Try growing a garden without ever planting or weeding or watering. You know, things have changed. It's different, right? Sin entered the world. And God despises all of this. He does. He hates kids shooting kids at school. He hates that we have to battle with depression. He hates tornadoes and wildfires because none of this is what he planned. And if we read through the story of Noah in Genesis uh, chapter 6 through 9, there's this common theme, and that theme is that God hates war, but he loves peace. And his greatest desire is to end the battles that we just described and for all creation to find peace. We can see him resolving this in how God saved Noah, God saved the animals, God saved Noah's family, 
And God saved the planet that they lived on so that today you and I could be here. And so at this time in history, God decides that it's best to restore peace by restarting the human race. All right, starting from scratch with Noah. And so he was going to do this by destroying all of creation through this worldwide flood. So Noah's uh, story is pretty long. It's, it's too long for me to read to you today. So I'm going to sum it up. All right, I want to sum it up for you in about seven sentences. Here I go. So God tells Noah to build this giant boat because he's going to bring a flood to destroy the people, the animals, the earth. And God calls this giant boat an ark, right? All right, so uh, I got this picture I wanted to show you, okay? This is some amazing guys that I went to a a men's conference with last year. And uh, we had an awesome time. And we were in front of this, uh, let's see. So on our way to Chicago, there's a place in Kentucky called the Ark Encounter, all right? And uh, it, it is a wild experience. But this, although this looks like a backdrop, doesn't it look just like we like sitting in front of a backdrop? And it doesn't look that big, okay, in, in this picture. But this boat was crazy big. What I want you to see is this is a life, this is like real to size situation, all right? Look at this next picture. Look at the size of the people and the size of the boat. It was a huge, huge boat. All right, so God tells Noah exactly how big to build it, what to make it out of, where to put the doors, where to put the windows. Uh, he tells Noah to put two of every of certain kinds of animals, seven of other kinds of animals, uh, stockpile all this food, uh, move his immediate family inside. He even tells him the exact day they should go in. And then God kind of wraps up these instructions with, and I'm going to seal the door closed myself. Now, in my opinion, this sermon really could have just been a continuation of the you got to be kidding me series that we just wrapped up, right? I mean, this is a bizarre story. And as bizarre as it seems to us, you know, we know the ending, we know bigger picture of, of Scripture, all this kind of stuff. Can you imagine how much more ridiculous this seemed to Noah, right? I mean, this is bizarre. But in spite of that, in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, it says this, Noah did everything that God commanded him. And that's not the only time we read those words. You go to the next chapter, chapter 7, in verse 9, in verse 5, in verse 16, they all say that Noah did exactly what the Lord had commanded him. And this is huge. Because what God was commanding Noah to do made no sense, right? I mean, it made no sense unless Noah knew something that we, that we don't. But what I think was happening here is that Noah had accepted the reality that so many of us deny. Because Noah had accepted that he or that we can't control everything. It was like Noah had already answered our questions that we're asking ourselves today. He wasn't in control but he knew God was. And Noah seems to already be pretty settled that he could trust God. And he demonstrated that by physically building this huge boat. Noah was acting in faith that God's plan was actually going to successfully carry him through and allow him to survive, give him life. And so this helps us move to our next observation in the story. And that's this. When we find ourselves shook, Following God's plan will lead us out. Not might or could. It will lead us out. Although God was preparing to eradicate mankind from the face of the earth, 
He took the time to make sure that he gave a detailed plan or a way out for the one man who was doing his very best to obey God. I sort of find it kind of funny that as God was giving these plans to Noah, he never asked Noah for advice, which seems a little odd to me because Noah's kind of like the boots on the ground guy, right? You know, like he's there doing it. And I was thinking, you know, not asking my advice is one thing, but not asking my advice and then telling me specifically what to do, how to live my life, how to spend my money, my time, my energy, what my family should do or be. I I don't think so. I'm supposed to be in control. But when we see Noah's response, that Noah did everything God commanded him, we realize maybe Noah had it right. You see, Noah could have been, he could have been thinking a number of things. He had plenty of reasons to doubt, right? Right? He could have been thinking, this is making me look crazy. People are thinking that I'm paranoid. People are laughing at me. My family is starting to question my sanity. What if I heard God wrong? What if the rain never comes? You know, sometimes it can feel like the whole world is going one way. And God asks us to go a completely other direction. And when we choose to go God's way, it doesn't mean that everything's going to go perfectly smooth or everyone's going to applaud and get on board with us. Sometimes obeying God is lonely and awkward. And it honestly can make you feel even more out of control. But we can see in Scripture that when Noah chose God's way, God's plan, because we can see the ending, we know that Noah chose well. And we can choose well too. God has already mapped out these detailed instructions for us in His Word on how we can survive those moments when we feel like we're drowning in the chaos of our own lives. And so I want to share some of these, some of these scriptures with you that just give us some instructions and then some of God's, God's response, okay? So Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, So be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you or abandon you. In Isaiah chapter 41, it says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Psalm chapter 34 says, The Lord hears His people When they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. And it's in with this, this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered for a little while, 
He will restore you, support, and strengthen you. And he'll place you on a firm foundation. See, guys, we have the plans. We have the instructions. But the question remains, when we are shook, will we follow the plan? Will we obey God and trust him to lead us out? And when I think about how this practically applies to my life, I keep coming back to this one word, faith. Do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he will do? Because that's faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, this whole chapter is dedicated to telling the stories of these incredible, what we would call like spiritual giants in the Bible and what amazing things they did. And in every description, the first two words are through faith. I want to give you a couple of examples, okay? Through faith, Enoch was taken into heaven without dying. Through faith, Noah built a boat that saved his family from the flood. Through faith, Sarah had a child, though she was barren and super old. Through faith, Moses led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. Through faith, the Israelites walked around the walls of Jericho and then they came crashing down. Through faith, Daniel survived the lion's den. Through faith, through faith, through faith. And this list goes on and on. But the real question is, what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for you? It could mean this. Through faith... My marriage lasted 50 years. Through faith, I beat colon cancer. Through faith, I led a spiritual revival in my neighborhood. Through faith, we fed all the hungry people in our city. Or through faith, we provided a home for every orphan in our county. Through faith, I faithfully tithed even when there didn't seem to be enough. Through faith, through faith, Through faith. You see, faith is the key. It's intangible. It's often elusive. But it's the core. It's at the core of everything. You sat in your chair believing that it was going to hold you up. right? You walked in this building to worship believing that you were going to be kept safe. You, You can't live without faith. You can't even function without faith. Without faith, our spiritual foundation crumbles. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, we read, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And a couple of verses later, we read that it is impossible to please God or even know Him without faith. See, faith is the crux. Faith is the catalyst. Faith is all we have. But faith... Is hard. If you look back at the passage of Genesis chapter 6 and 7, when Noah was carrying out God's instructions, many of those verses start with these two words. It says, But Noah. And then it explains how he perfectly obeyed what God had laid out for him. But then in Genesis chapter 8, we see this like this 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 big shift. And the very t- first two words of chapter 8 are but God. And it was at this point that I see that Noah has done his part. He followed the plan. He trusted. And now it's God's turn. 
And at different points in our lives, we, each one of us, have to acknowledge that we are at this chapter 8 moment in our lives. The but God moment. We can't control everything, but we can control our faith in a God who does have complete control. And as God begins to bring this peace and this healing and this resolve out of difficult situations or seasons of our lives, we have to shift our focus. See, when Noah was in the heat of his struggle, he had to stay like super focused on the plan, right? So, so he was like laser focused on carrying out every page of instructions that God gave him on how to build the boat and what animals to put in there, how to pack and, and, and all that kind of thing. But after he had obeyed God's instructions and followed the plan, he had done all he could do. And we see this shift happening in Genesis chapter 8, verse 6. It says, After another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters on the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could find, find dry ground. But the dove could find no place to land because water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat. And Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew the floodwaters were almost gone. I love this passage because we see Noah physically looking for the evidence of God doing what he said he was going to do. It's at this point that Noah is ready for his faith to be confirmed. See, I believe Noah already had the confidence that God would pull through. He knew that God was going to lead him out of this situation. For, for Noah, that was foundational. And, and a lot of us act on these kinds of foundational assumptions uh, every day and rarely even think about it. We dress for whatever the weather person says because we know that at least 50% of the time they're right. You know? and, and we drive through green lights believing that the people coming the other direction from the intersection are going to stop and we're going to be able to safely go through. We act when we're confident in the process. And Noah was acting because he had faith already in the process. He knew God was going to pull through. My guess was that this probably wasn't his first rodeo. Noah understood the power of the but God moment. The moment of completely surrendering to allowing God to do what he says he will do. Because God honestly has done it time and time and time again. Noah had built up that confidence in the process. But I have to ask myself, have I? Have you? So yes, my spouse is fighting terminal cancer, but God. So yes, I lost my job and my kid starts college in a month, but God. Yes, my parents are about to divorce, but God. Yes, I've made so many mistakes that I can't even seem to find the right path anymore. But God. And this huge shift in Noah's story gives us our last takeaway this, for this morning. And honestly, I believe it's the catalyst to whether we're going to live like life to the full, as John describes in, in the gospel, or, or whether we're going to live a powerless or defeated life as a Christ follower. And the takeaway is this, is that we must move our focus from the problem to the promise. And so how do we do that? How do we move our focus from the problem to the promise? If you think back to those scriptures we read just a few minutes ago, 
Each of them had instructions for us to obey and then something that we had to trust that God would provide. Statements like, don't be afraid and I'll make you victorious. Or cry out to me for help and I will listen. Trust me and I'll tell you which way to go. Endure suffering for a while and I'll restore you. These aren't empty words. These are the words and the promises of God. God's instructions to Noah weren't just good ideas. They were the actual solution to his survival. And oftentimes we get so overwhelmed or consumed or distracted in our problems that God's promises are nowhere on our radar. Noah sent out a dove actively looking for God to show that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. What are we doing today to actively look for God to show up? Because the hard reality is, if we can't make the shift in our minds from the problem to God's promises, then we're probably going to be stuck in this cycle of hopelessness. And, and honestly, I think there are a ton of us in this room who can relate to that. Breaking this cycle of hopelessness is one of the greatest challenges with, with living in a sinful world. Because like Noah, we can't fix it. We can't control it. At least on our own. But God. But God saw this hopeless cycle. And the starting humanity over with Noah wasn't going to be enough. It wasn't going to be enough to right the wrong of sin entering the world. No man could do that. And I have no doubt in my mind that God already knew that. See, the pinnacle of the entire story of God and His people being us is that even though we're just like the people in Noah's day, only thinking of evil and selfish desires, Jesus, who shows us God's character, His nature, and His love, came to rescue us through His life, His death, His resurrection, so that we could be in right relationship with God. And in one way, we could sort of say that there was some of this shift, similar to what we're just talking about. That the, the, the focus began to be off the problem of sin and humanity, basically you and me, and focusing on the promise, who is Jesus. No more floods. God has brought a whole new plan to redeeming mankind. And this time it's different. It's a permanent plan. Instead of using a righteous man, he decided to send a part of himself, fully God, fully man, Jesus was, is, and will be God's plan for our way out of a defeated life. And instead of wiping out all of humanity again, he decided to give us the opportunity to restore our relationship with him. A solution to all that brokenness and those battles we talked about earlier. And this plan's name is Jesus. So maybe you can agree with me this morning that we can't control everything. We can agree on that. Thankfully, we believe there's someone who can. But the second question that I think is still hanging out there, that still remains, is are we willing to trust him? Noah did. Noah bet his life, his reputation, his family on it. And frankly, I want to. But trusting God with complete control of our lives requires an unusual, unusual faith. And honestly, I feel like very few of us have a very strong handle on what biblical faith looks like. 
While I was uh, in Africa, my, my entire understanding and perception of faith was totally rocked, right? I mean, I was, I was, I was standing there, you know, thinking, uh, thinking about the passage that says, Don't worry. If I'll take care of flowers of the fields and birds of the air, then I'll take care of you. And that passage becomes real in a whole different way when you're standing in a village with no water in a mud hut with people who are completely dependent upon God for them to get something to eat that day. But that kind of faith doesn't have to only be found in Africa. And when we read this story of Noah, his life all being shook up, God provided this plan. Now, the, the downer is that that particular plan only worked for the flood situation. Most of us aren't going to try to build an ark to try to deal with whatever challenge or, or mess that our lives are in. But that's the beauty of God's message for us this morning. That we no longer need these temporary plans. Because He gave us a permanent one. He gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. And that's what, that's what it's all about. That's what the Bible is all about. That's what Alive is all about. That's why we do what we do. Because we believe that through His life, Jesus teaches us more about God the Father, how to live in harmony with each other, how to see ourselves as God does, how to even see and sense God in creation. And sometimes I just find it amazing how God's plans all tend to come together. If we can look at the big picture. And when we experience those I'm shook moments, we have to check the plan. Dig into the life of Jesus. He dealt with hurting people every day. Look at what he instructed them to do. Look at how he handled the hurt that he felt in his own life. The plan is there. Now we have to obey. We have to follow the plan And we have to trust God with the rest. Because when we place our faith in Him, absolutely nothing is impossible. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, as we come before You this morning, we thank You, God, that You are in control. And God, frankly, that You haven't given us more control than we have because, God, we would just make a mess. Lord, I ask you this morning, Lord, that you would increase our faith. Lord, I ask you that you would increase our faith to a level where we would be like Noah, and we'd be willing to build an ark, a crazy big boat, even though there's no water around. Lord, whatever you've called us to do, God, I pray that you would give us that kind of faith. Lord, I pray you'd give us a faith that causes us to be bolder than we ever thought we could be. God, a faith that could cause us to do things that are more crazy than we ever thought we would have done. God, because we believe that with you, nothing is impossible. Lord, some of us in this room, signing up to go volunteer at Kids Week would be a crazy thing to do. But God, if that's what you're calling us to do this morning, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the, the, the strength and the energy and the determination to go do it. God, whatever it is that you are called each one of us to do, Lord, whatever difficult scenario it is that you maybe are helping us walk through in this moment, Lord, you have given us the plan. Trust in your promises. Obey your word and leave it to the but God moment. Complete surrender. Lord, I thank you this morning that when we give ourselves completely and wholly to you, Lord, that nothing 
is impossible. And God, I pray that that would be our heart's cry this morning as we believe that you have called us to change the world. In your holy name we pray. Amen.